0: Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 31st episode, I have an interview with Amzie Emmons. But before we get to that, once again, a reminder to all of you MFA and BFA students wanted to show off your work and talk about it, please apply to the 2012 MFA-BFA competition. Once again, three winners from each category will be selected for an interview to be featured on Studio Break and also will be included in an upcoming publication. You can find out more information on that by visiting... Studio Break on Facebook where you'll see information underneath the calendar. If you have any other additional questions about the process, which is very straightforward, you can email me at davidlitaway at hotmail.com. Remember if you prefer not using the default player at Studio Break, you can always subscribe under iTunes. Just go to the iTunes Store, search under Podcast for Studio Break, and subscribe there. And with that being said, let's bring on the interview with Amzi Emmons, an artist living and working in Philadelphia. Emmons does a number of paintings and prints, all dealing with landscapes and constructed landscapes and deconstructed landscapes. It's a really good conversation, so check it out. Just stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. I am here with uh, MZ Emmons. How are you this morning?
1: I'm great. I'm great. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing all right. Finally, finally getting up and running today. Um... And so I, I just like to start off as, as I do with most everybody, if you could just, well, first of all, tell us uh, maybe where you're located now and, and what that status is and what you're doing out uh, where you're at. And then um, typically just have people talk a little bit about, you know, where they're from after that and, you know, what, what kind of experiences they had growing up and, and um, what interests and, and things like that you had growing up.
1: Okay. Um, I'm. I'm based in Philadelphia. I've got a studio in South Philly. I've been in this city, I guess, in some form or another for about the last seven years. Um, Before that, I moved around a lot. Uh, I've been working as an academic for about the last nine or ten years, Um, and uh, I've been teaching the last seven years at Muhlenberg College, a small private liberal arts school in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and I'll be starting in the fall at the College of New Jersey outside of Trenton. And um, before that, I uh, taught for a year at the University of Iowa and um, the University of Vermont before that. uh, I lived in Brooklyn briefly before that and worked a whole handful of arts administration jobs for organizations like Creative Time, uh, The Met, the 92nd Street Y. And uh, uh, I was in graduate school at the University of Iowa Studying printmaking before that. <clears throat> I'm from uh, sorry if I cough a little bit, it's kind of allergy season. Oh that's
0: here. that's perfectly fine. we expect it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I grew up in upstate New York in a kind of small uh, farming town. Uh, my parents had moved there from Baltimore on kind of the tail end of the back to land movement and I grew up essentially on a on a kind of gentleman's farm. Uh, my dad worked in town as a, like, a small-town dentist, and my mom and my sister and I did a lot of the work of kind of running the farm and uh, slowly watching our farmhouse get sort of torn apart and put back together.
0: I see, I see. And did you have a, did you have any uh, hand in in, in building anything or um, kind of getting your hands dirty in that regard, or?
1: (coughs) Not really. I mean, I guess we got our hands dirty all the time, Um, but we... For it seemed like for a while we were kind of halfway house for journeyman carpenters. You know, these guys would sort of um, different kinds of craftsmen would come in and, and sort of spend six months rebuilding something while we all lived in one room or another. Um, now, my my mom was really much handier and sort of acted as a as a contractor. Mostly, they put my sister and I to work like weeding, <laughs> farm and you know, feeding chickens and things like that.
0: Right, right. Um, and, and so, what were your first i guess experiences in terms of uh, doing artwork or, or kind of being involved in the arts? I, I would imagine you know just like almost everybody else, it seems like everybody starts somewhat the same way but um, any any stories there
1: uh, that 's a good question i think my my parents were always sort of um, aesthetically conscious in some ways uh, and and we spent a lot of time they spent a lot of energy sort of talking about architecture as they kind of restored this, you know, 200-year-old farmhouse. Um, So I think I was aware of it in that regard. Um, And then because of where we were in upstate New York, there was a number of artists, (coughs) excuse me, artists um, who moved there uh, to get away from New York City or something like that. So there was, even though it was essentially a kind of rural uh, kind of, you know, working class community, there were uh, creative types that I met when I was really young, um, but I think I primarily became interested in sort of producing art, uh, one, because I, I sort of liked reading comic books and would sort of copy, you know, drawings of Batman and things of that nature, and and uh, when I got to high school, my high school art teacher was kind of phenomenal, and it was a really kind of safe place to sort of survive the weirdness that is high school. Uh, taking taking art classes or just hanging out in the art classroom when when, there, when I wasn't supposed to be there, you know, that kind of thing.
0: And so, I mean, were your experiences then in, in terms of exploring that, I mean, um, pretty pretty typical in terms of, uh, you know, I don't know, drawing classes and maybe some painting classes, photography or any uh, other kind of... It was
1: pretty minimal. I mean, um, I grew up in Schoharie County, which is, you know, on the short list of poorest counties in the state. So we had a we had some phenomenal teachers in our high school but it, at the time it wasn't a, a especially well um, well funded school so our art experience was pretty minimal you know it was sort of one room i think you know every once in a while we do like a linoleum block print um, but it seemed like it was a lot of you know just kind of making things out of paper um, and doing a little bit of painting but we didn't have anything like photography uh, there might have been a a dark room in a closet or something for the yearbook. Uh, but I don't, Right, it was never something I spent much time worrying about.
0: Sure. Sure. Well, and so, um, did you, did you know that you wanted to kind of pursue that, um, in high school as something that was a career possibility? Um, and I think it's especially interesting now, um, being, being a teacher and kind of thinking about the, uh, I don't know, the outcomes of such, such things like that, getting a, getting a fine arts degree or anything like that. But, um, Was that something that you just kind of knew that you wanted to do, or did you kind of figure it out? Yeah,
1: that's a good question. I think um, the things I sort of liked doing in high school, um, you know, I sort of liked uh, reading books, you know, primarily like history and literature, and then I kind of liked clowning around, and uh, and I liked drawing. And I think of those things, I was actually only better than other people at drawing. Um, So when I looked to go to college, I wanted to make sure to go somewhere that had a, a reasonably good art program, um, and I thought that maybe I would, um, you know, minor in art or take some art classes while I got like kind of a real major. It was always sort of an interest, but i, I was never quite I was never quite sure it was something I wanted, or was even possible to kind of commit to.
0: Right. And um, and so, where did you want what What did you want to do in in terms of going to school then uh, for undergraduate?
1: Yeah, I studied at Ohio Wesleyan University in Ohio, uh, which as much as anything else was sort of about as far away from home as I could get and still be uh, close enough to drive there uh, for the for a holiday or something. And they have, a, Ohio Wesleyan's always had a really pretty reasonably good EFA um, program that's embedded in a liberal arts college. Um, my My folks were really kind of nervous about having my sister and I go to any big state school, you know, coming from a town, uh, you know, that has like less than 2,000 people. The idea of going to a school that has 10,000 students, uh, they were kind of, I think, rightfully afraid that we would quickly get lost. <laughs> uh, so so I ended up going to Ohio Wesleyan um, and uh, really had a great experience there. And after about a semester of like trying out different majors with a kind of vague plan to double major in art and you know maybe political science maybe philosophy maybe you know uh as i cycled through the list it quickly became clear that i was really primarily interested in in focusing on art and then just taking as many different kinds of classes as i could
0: and so yeah i was gonna say i mean obviously it seems like it would be a big um I don't know a big a big open world to you now that that you're at a a, a place that might have a lot of other options. Um, did you wind up then just taking a lot of different things, or did you become interested in printmaking early on?
1: Uh, it's you know it's interesting that you sort of started by framing this as a teacher, kind of looking back. Uh, I, I had a friend once tell me that you know two types of people sort of become teachers. Uh, the first are the kids who sit in the front of the room who are you know, serious nerds and, like, totally excited to be at school. Um, and their their punishment is to then realize that all the people sitting behind them weren't interested <laughs> when they have to stand in front of the room as a teacher. And the other type of the kids at the back of the room who weren't paying attention, who, when they become teachers, realize that, you know, no one else, you know, that they have to then now deal with themselves as students. Uh, I was definitely in the former category, you know, I, I sort of, uh, as a kind of unabashed sort of nerd, Uh, I really liked going to school, and and it seemed like, um, you know, pretty much any class that I took, as long as the teacher was reasonably interesting, you know, I decided at that minute, you know, that was the most interesting topic that I'd ever learned about. So I really took advantage of the liberal arts um, and just took a ton of classes in in kind of a bunch of fairly unrelated topics, um, while simultaneously really focusing on on visual art um essentially building a concentration around drawing painting and printmaking, and then just trying to eat up as much art history as i could
0: sure sure and and what i mean what kind of um subjects were you were you kind of dealing with that i mean I, obviously uh you know most foundations courses maybe focus on things like um you know technical technical things um approaches uh you know elements and principles of design and uh working from life and things like that um but, you know, obviously I'm just kind of curious what, you know, at what point when people start really kind of focusing on a specific type of work or, um, you know, start narrowing down their interests. So, I mean, um, is, there, is there anything that you could shed about, uh, about that subject?
1: Well, I think, I think when I was in undergrad, I was primarily learning um, kind of what the level of rigor that was required to make something, make a successful image. Uh, and I was, you know, I had teachers that were from a range of different generations. And, uh, the one that I kind of ended up mentoring most closely with, uh, this guy, Jim Crable, who still teaches there, um, he was kind of on the early generation of, of sort of postmodern, uh, you know, artists. Uh, he had studied with a lot of serious, uh, modernists, but, uh, but his dogma was always like, um. Or rather, he didn't really have a dogma. His interest was, <coughs> excuse me, was primarily in uh, sort of doing whatever it took to make a successful image, um, which a lot of times involved kind of, you know, decimating what what you'd worked on and then kind of rebuilding it multiple times and sort of pushing an image back and forth in a really ruthless way. And I think looking back, you know, at the time it was pretty difficult, but looking back, this was like a great way to break uh someone who comes from high school with like a, a measure of talent and probably too much confidence of a lot of crutches. Um uh and I've see this in my students all the time where someone will arrive who like uh is really good at doing sort of one small specific thing like rendering texture or something of that nature. Uh and they sort of cling to it at the cost of understanding structure or composition. Uh and and so working with Jim was really good sort of just breaking me of a lot of bad habits. Um, but I don't think I really figured out content at that point. Um, I, I probably spent a lot of time trying to make things that I thought looked like art. It wasn't until I got out of school, um, and I, I spent about three years. Ohio Westland's is about, uh, I guess, about a half hour outside of Columbus, Ohio. And I just moved into kind of a group house with some classmates of mine and set up a studio in the attic. And I spent, I guess, about two and a half years just kind of building up a portfolio with a mind toward going to graduate school, and I think it was during that time that I began to have an idea about like content and building a body of work and uh, using visual art to kind of explore a conceptual idea over a number of years.
0: Sure, sure, and I mean, and, and again, I'm curious too because obviously, you know, um, there's only so far back your archives go. For example, on uh, on yeah. your website, and so. You know, I'm curious because it seems like uh, maybe themes of landscape and, and certainly this idea of, you know, deconstruction and, and reconstruction, you know, are, are kind of apparent and, you know, relate to what we were just talking about. But, I mean, um, was that something that, that during this period of t- two years that where you're kind of building up your portfolio, is that something that becomes, I don't know, that that kind of gets a foothold there or or where did it start out, you know? Cause,
1: I think that's where I, yeah, I would say it definitely began there. Um I, I think you were pretty astute and and kind of pointing out that I've always been interested in ideas of landscape and sort of where landscape intersects with architecture. Um, and at the time I, uh, my girlfriend was like very interested in, um, sort of city planning and, and reading about new urbanism and also just using the city as a kind of site for exploration. Um, she wasn't an artist, uh, but just kind of an intellectual. And, uh, I just began sort of like picking up all the books she'd kind of discarded. And, and I guess I sort of used that as a leveraging point, like, um, like previous to that, my art had essentially like many people began out of a kind of personal conceit. Um, but I think it was then that I began to understand that I could use landscape and architecture as a sort of metaphor to talk about both like personal concerns and, and kind of also larger, uh, I don't know, political ideas, I guess, as much as anything else. Um, and those would eventually become kind of conceptual or critical ideas over the years. But it, it was at that point that I began to, um, you know, sort of intentionally go on walks in the city with a camera, um, with the idea of sort of generating source material that I would then, um, essentially sort of deconstruct to make images. Um, It was pretty unsophisticated at the time, but I think the kernel of my practice now began definitely back then.
0: Well, and just to double-check, too, where were you living?
1: Uh, Columbus, Ohio.
0: Okay, okay. Because, you know, I I think that's one of the things that's interesting, too, um, and maybe just, you know, um, related to things that I'm interested in, especially landscape and and certainly, um, I don't know, there's... uh, you know, there's certain threads that kind of run, you know, in groups of of people maybe being concerned with with um, their relationship and, and um, the way that that changes and evolves depending on where they're living. And so, um, it's interesting to hear you talk about that. And so, I mean, uh, one of the things that I notice in your in your kind of more recent works is that the the kind of things that you reference um, vary a lot. And so, I would imagine that the the photographs that you're kind of using or are, are kind of developing to base these, these works that you're doing, are they, are they pretty diverse in terms of, you know, subjects in terms of, um, you know, what kind of things that you wind up utilizing in a piece? And is there a, any kind of process in terms of what you wind up picking? I mean, any formal strategies or conceptual strategies
1: uh, at this point? Um, I guess for, well, I guess I'll, I'll I'll build it into kind of a, a narrative that both, uh, answers your question, but also gives a sense of how I arrived at where I'm at right now. Um, uh, when I arrived uh, in the kind of greater Philadelphia area I, to teach at Muhlenberg College, I first lived in Allentown for a couple of years, um, uh, which is a kind of weird sort of sad kind of rust belt town. Uh, there's a lot that's interesting about it, but most of what's interesting about it is slightly ironic or, kind of grim in a way. And so, um, I, I was, my studio practice had kind of stalled out. I, at that point I had moved, you know, if you looked at the previous 10 years, I'd moved about 10 times, you know, not necessarily once a year, but sometimes more than once a year. And then, you know, being somewhere for you know a year or two. And I don't, I don't know your experience sort of packing up your studio and unpacking it. it eventually it sort of boils down to all you have is like a sketchbook, you know, because everything's in boxes. Uh, and I felt like I needed to kind of quickly start making things again. Um, uh, and I, I kind of was doing a sort of self-assessment, like, you know, if your work is about place and you keep moving, uh, eventually, uh, you know, the sense of dislocation will, will sort of take over and it'll be difficult to kind of access um, whatever place you happen to be in. Uh, and so... I was being exposed, in terms of like the literature and stuff that I was looking at, I was being exposed to a lot of um, procedural poetic work. And I, I was particularly struck by uh, this work by a poet named Charles Reznikoff called Testimony, where he uh, began a procedure where he was looking at documentary court materials uh, from sort of the turn of the century and building uh, these kind of found text poems out of court documents. And there were these great, very concise uh, little nuggets of language that, if, if read in its entirety, painted a very interesting portrait of a period of time. Uh, and so I became very interested in his work and how he was able to use kind of documentary material to kind of make bigger statements and, and also kind of remove uh, the pressure that's on the author or the artist to claim that they're making big statements because I think that's a very hard thing to claim in this day and age. So I decided I would kind of reboot my studio work with a similar procedure. Uh, I decided that uh, at the time about the only constant that had been uh, a consistent part of my life over the last several years was getting the Sunday New York Times. (laughs) So I decided that every week I would sort of do a clipping from the paper and then I would begin a drawing out of that clipping and that some of these would be kind of a disaster, but other ones would, you know, would eventually evolve into a work of art. Uh, So for about, I don't know, I guess about three or four years, everything I was doing was essentially a collage, you know, where I would take five or six different images from the times and just extract different elements um, that alluded to a sense of place, but I would, collage them all into one image. So it might be a skyline uh, from you know, Iraq, uh, and this was in, what, like 2005, 2007. So there was a lot of kind of international coverage, um, unlike now where most of the coverage is sort of about finances and the economy. Then it was all about international politics and Katrina, tsunamis, uh, uh, wars uh, that were taking place abroad. And so uh, my work began to have a kind of um, international politic and I became interested in I guess in a way to try and express my own sense of displacement I became interested in essentially the architecture that surrounded all of these refugee crises that were happening and so I was building these kind of collaged images out of that uh, eventually I moved to Philadelphia and I kind of picked up my street photography and my kind of walking in the city as a part of as a part of a way of kind of generating content Um, and eventually the the kind of things I was photographing in the streets of Philadelphia began to also enter into the collages uh, that that were becoming these drawings. Uh, So then it became sort of about exploring a local sense of place and then putting it in conversation with an international kind of crisis of displacement, Uh, and that seemed very compelling and interesting to me. Um, And at a certain point, I've been just consuming this, this kind of documentary material for long enough that I can just out as a kind of memory drawing project in my sketchbook, I can kind of, uh, draw images of things that I feel like have become kind of visual means in my research, um, different types of rubble or blast walls or, uh, police barricades. Um, so at this point, the things that are making are kind of drawing from those three sources, uh, a kind of sketchbook memory drawing practice, uh, Street photography that might have some kind of you know situationist kind of procedure to it and then and then this kind of um, documentary clipping news clipping
0: well and it makes me you know bring up it brings up an interesting idea to me in that um, you know certainly because there's a number of different components to the research aspect of it um, did you do you wind up spending a lot of time then just drawing in terms of just learning, you know, that, that process or, you know, you, you're kind of talking about all these, um, uh, really it's like a, like a vocabulary that you're developing, you know, of all these different kinds of things that you can draw, all these different types of things. Um, was, was there any like, like specific times where you're maybe more focused on more observational work, um, you know, in person versus working directly from more like a photo collage or, um, was it always more of, I, I don't know, what was that like? I mean, um, and I obviously, like we were saying before, I mean it's something that you know you might start out very traditionally by you know drawing still life and st- and stuff like that, but I'm just kind of curious the the relationship of drawing um, into that to developing that language
1: yeah that's a that's a good question i think um in terms of uh, the formal structure of the things that I make uh, I've always been I guess not always, but in, in recent memory, I've always been really interested in the intersection between drawing and print. Um, uh, in terms of visual culture, I've always been really interested in, like, information graphics. Or, you know, the perfect example for me is always the IKEA instruction manual. Um, you know, it's, it's clearly made by someone. There's an artist or illustrator who wants to, like, explain to you how to build that bookcase. Um, but to look at the thing, it looks like it was made by you know, like no human hand touched it, you know, the, the way the you know, the bookcase and its parts are drawn, it's the hand of the artist is so removed. And this, you know, little pamphlet that comes with, you know, your bookcase or your dresser or whatever it is, um, is imbued with such kind of distant authority because of that specific kind of information, print language, uh, that, that everyone kind of looks at it as if it's like, you know, it speaks with a kind of voice of authority, and I've always been interested in trying to tactically kind of deploy that in my work. Like, um, a lot of people who have a kind of collage process use uh, use the things that they find and the things that they collage to kind of uh, build the content of their work. Like, you know, uh, if they're clipping stuff, we're at a moment right now where if you look on Tumblr, there's like a million people who are just doing kind of... Vintage National Geographic collage, you know, with like rainbow burst or something, um, and they're very specifically talking about nostalgia, you know, because by clipping an image out of an old magazine or an old book and then collaging it, people will look at it and they'll immediately recognize the signature, you know. In, a, in an age of Photoshop, if you make a collage out of something that's from an old magazine, it, it'll be immediately clear to everyone that it's about a kind of nostalgia. And I'm not interested in nostalgia in the least, and so. By sort of attaching to this um, uh, this kind of information, graphic language, um, I'm interested in sort of making something that seems out of time. Uh, and, and I guess in some ways I'm also interested in the inability of me as an artist to kind of achieve these things. There's an element of kind of futility or folly in my, my practice, so... What I spend a lot of time doing is trying to draw as if I were like an idea instruction manual, you know. So um, in making a drawing, most of the final work that I make uh, comes out of different types of um, looking at different types of source material and then drawing it. It starts out very gestural and very, in many ways, like a traditional drawing. And then I spend a great deal of time just erasing everything that I draw and kind of tightening the image and tightening the image until there's almost not – there's only just the faintest, you know, ghost of the gestures that, that allowed me to capture that shape or that object. Uh, and then it, it kind of lands in a very um, graphic language. Um, to get there, I, I kind of do whatever is necessary. You know, it will it, be photo collage, but it, uh, some of what I do is also, you know, drawn from observation. Uh, it's really kind of whatever the image calls for.
0: Well, and and one of the things that you know, um, it strikes me too. Also, just looking at you know, especially the the the, the drawings, because um, there's it seems to be such a relationship with printmaking, and obviously, you know, we've talked that that that's that's one of your, you know, one of your areas, and and um, um, I guess could you talk a little bit about the relationship between those two things? And you know, I think one a couple of things that I'm noticing, um you know, are the, the kind of very soft gradients in some of the, the drawings that you have that I would associate with, you know, doing a, like, like some kind of a roll, you know, some kind of um, gradient that you would normally maybe roll out um, and the way that that relates to kind of those gradients that you get. in I particularly like the backgrounds, but then also um, the way that you also start using things like uh, large, you know, large negative, negative space or... or you know, big big chunks and areas um, that are kind of almost more silhouetted the way that you would kind of isolate, um, you know, maybe a number of screens or, you know, a number of plates. Um, but could you, could you talk about some of the ways that printmaking is, I guess, reinforced or changed um, the drawings and, I guess, the same way that the drawings do that with the prints? That's a,
1: that's a good question. Um, I guess to give a little bit of background, uh, my... My work in painting and drawing um, comes out of a very, very conservative place. You know, I, I was trained um, uh, in a very kind of classical way in terms of um, representational drawing. And um, and I studied with a number of painters who, who sort of, you know, ran the gamut from like plein air landscape painting to kind of um, – in a proto Renaissance, like trying to recapture kind of lost technical, um, sort of skill based uh, representational painting. Um, and uh, and that's how those are the types of paintings and drawings that I made for a very long time. Uh, and in some ways, uh, when I started working in print in undergrad, I, I, it was a kind of a relief to me to get out from under um, that. Kind of, uh, I don't know. Maybe dogma is the right word, or or that kind of pressure. Uh, the idea that there was a kind of correct way to make a painting uh, was had a lot to do with how I was taught to paint. So, uh, for me, I uh, I found my way into printmaking mostly as a as a way to take a break from um, feeling like there was a correct way to do something that I could never quite figure out, uh, and. And in some ways, my my print work at that period of time—this would be sort of undergrad, shortly after undergrad—had uh, a lot more air in it. It was it, it was sort of more interesting and more playful, um, mostly because no one, no one at that point had sort of told me that there was a right way to do to make a print, and so I was just sort of experimenting. Um, and and mostly for that reason, I ended up studying uh, printmaking as a master's program rather than um, painting or drawing. And I took a break from. Uh, painting or drawing for most of my, my, my graduate years. So for like two and a half years, I didn't pick up any paints or or really make anything that wasn't going to end up as a print. Um, and then when I, my last year in graduate school, I started making paintings again. Um, and, and I tried to approach them, uh, with what I'd learned about sort of color and line, um, from studying print and, and sort of in some ways distance myself from what I had been doing before in terms of painting. Uh, and, um, and I, there's probably a period of about maybe five years after that where I was just trying to give myself permission to just one, make the kind of images that I imagined in my head and to, to just not do anything that wasn't, that I didn't enjoy in the studio. Um, which isn't to say that I was just going to do the stuff that's fun, because there's a lot about making art that isn't necessarily fun. But, um, but I was just going to focus on the parts that really gave me pleasure, uh, and so I just stopped doing everything else but that. And and as you pointed out, a lot of what I make right now really is in conversation with um, like print language, and I think to some extent that that supplies a kind of content. Uh, like, as you pointed out, you'll look at what I'm making, and it might remind you of, uh, of like, uh, a Japanese woodblock print. Or uh, I spent a lot of time looking at kind of 18th and 19th century, um, you know, commercially produced advertisements, like Latrec lithographs and things like that, where you'll have a big flat of color that defines a negative space and then sort of something happening in the foreground. Uh, and so... I, I sort of just took, decided I would just take everything that I was kind of interested in and pour it into my work and just stop doing all of the stuff I'd kind of been doing because I someone at one point had told me it was the right way to do it. Right, so, right. Yeah, so what I have now is essentially this weird hybrid, you know, where I'm spending a lot of time uh, using pencil and gouache and acrylic to kind of recreate uh, images that are in a large part in conversation with uh, the history of printed language.
0: Over the course of the podcast, um, you know, we've been talking about how work evolves in different ways. And, um, and I was just talking to you about the the way that, you know, as a graduate student or, you know, even an undergraduate student, you're trying to, you're trying to connect and, and make some kind of meaning for yourself, you know, that allows you to keep continuing to make the work that you're interested in. And so, I guess I'm I'm just kind of curious, um, in in what ways sometimes those become, you know, maybe more, more playful, um, and then maybe sometimes a little bit more maybe political. And that's, again, that's just my take in terms of where, where more the current work is, I guess. But I mean, that, that varies as well. So, um, could you talk a little bit about that process of, I guess, trying to, trying to figure out where you, where you fit in or maybe some of those different ways that that's changed over.
1: Yeah, totally. Um again, I'll probably try and build it into a kind of timeline narrative, you know, as I, because at this point in time, like, it all seems quite clear to me, you know, but I'm sure five years from now, it'll all seem quite clear and different. Uh, And and looking back, there's, there's always a very clear thread, like, oh, I got here because I made these decisions, or I was exposed to these things. But at the time, you know, you're essentially like blundering around in the dark. Um, So uh, to begin with, and in undergrad, I, 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 mentioned earlier that I was sort of making things that I thought looked like art, uh, and that would be sort of a formal description. A conceptual description would be kind of like things that were mostly overwrought and didactic, and like trying really hard to like say something, uh, but not doing a very good job of, of doing it. You know, when I think about the the books that I enjoy and the films that I enjoy, it's often ones that are more subtle and complicated and maybe leave the person uh, who's experiencing that that work with um, a sense of complexity rather than a clear sense that, like, you should be thinking this. Uh, and so it's always been a kind of goal of mine to find that level of complexity in my own work, but it's taken a long time to get to a point where I feel pretty comfortable with myself. So one thing I decided after leaving undergrad is that the problem – and I can distinctly remember this sort of, you know, epiphany moment where I, I realized that I was trying to make, um, for example, let's say a painting and, and I was trying to cram an entire movie into that painting. Um, and it ended up being, you know, kind of a God awful thing. And so I decided that I would give myself permission to instead make film stills, you know, so I would work in a body of work and each and the pressure on each individual image would be that much less because if you saw all of them, you might get the big idea that I was interested in. But an individual piece would mostly just sort of hint at it and maybe make a smaller gesture towards um, towards whatever the larger content was. Uh, and this was kind of my rationale for making work that essentially became slightly more mysterious or ambiguous or um, playful uh, and uh, to attach that to what I was actually doing, um, after college I became very interested in urban sprawl, and so,
0: you know, I made a lot of
1: pictures of sort of highways, um, and and that was the work that got me into graduate school. And I and I continued to pursue that the first year or so of graduate school, and then, like many students, I began to deconstruct what I was doing and kind of break it down into little bits to, as I tried as as my classmates and my and my mentors. Did what they were supposed to do, which was essentially pick it apart, you know, and then I, I kind of put it back together in a much more kind of leaner place, where I realized that, you know, the thing about landscape that was most interesting to me was architecture and the way architecture could be a metaphor to speak about issues of politics or power. Um, and after graduate school, for a period of time, I focused uh, on a really specific body of work on kind of like airport interiors, like airport waiting rooms, because they seemed so such a good example of the thing. I was kind of excited that I sort of discovered this idea that a built environment could be, you know, code for control. Um, and, but then after September 11th, my work took on a very different meaning than I had intended it. Um, this was interesting to me because it was an important lesson that, you know, ultimately you, you have, almost no control over what happens to your work once it goes out into the world. Um, And I decided two things. One, that I would stop making work about airport waiting rooms because it was talking about something I wasn't trying to talk about. And, and two, I would stop trying to have a really specific idea about content. And I would, I would mostly just try and, um, uh, involve myself in the research because I really enjoyed going to the library and just sort of, hammering through books or or sort of burying myself on the internet trying to learn about something and i would just try to meditate on these things and then when i went in the studio i wouldn't worry about it like i would just assume that these things that i'm these ideas these concepts um whether you know social or critical or political would come out in the work and uh and that's kind of been my approach to sort of critical content since then um I spend a lot of time when I'm not in the studio, um, you know, just trying to get smarter about the subjects that I'm interested in, uh, you know, wading into some, you know, critical theory. But also, I I guess, responding to my own background in the liberal arts and just reading anything that sort of is compelling to me uh, in different fields, uh, whether that's like a, um, you know, work of literature or poetry or nonfiction or, you know, some kind of critical art theory piece you know, just kind of consuming all of it, uh, you know, with as much time and energy as I can put toward that. And then, and then whatever happens in the studio should be more playful. Like this is a way in which I've sort of tried to let myself try to be more generous with myself and, and just let, um, connect, trust my intuition, I guess. And this is something that I, that for me has only happened with a great deal of a sort of practice and maturity, I think. Um, I, I have a great deal of faith in in my audience to figure out what I'm doing, um, and I'm not totally concerned if they get it or not. Um, I'm more interested in kind of posing questions, you know, looking back at who I was in undergrad, where I was very interested in making statements, you know, and claiming that I knew something about the world. You know, the older I get, the more I realize I know less and less about the world. Right. And I'm much more comfortable with kind of complexity and ambiguity, and I think the work that I make now in terms of content, like I'm really trying to put things in conversation with each other that I don't know what it means for them to be in conversation. I trust that by putting them in conversation that something interesting will come out of it. Um, And sometimes that ends up being a little more gritty and sometimes it ends up being a little more silly. And that's just a reflection of my own personality, I think.
0: Sure. Well, and it's interesting because it's such a... You know, it's such a difficult process to feel like you're, for lack of a better term, on the right path. You know,
1: totally.
0: And um, you know, it's interesting too because one of the, one of the things that you talked about that I that I really liked and, and that I wrote down is this idea of um, maybe cramming everything into. Um, you, you talk about like trying to cram a movie into one image, versus kind of working from a movie still. And um, you know, we were talking a little bit off off, uh, I guess, off the official record about. Um, um, some of these things and it made me think of this little epiphany that I had um, in the last year watching the movie The Descendants and um, for some reason I, I like, and this seems so obvious to me but you know um, I basically thought like you know I get a lot more out of like the way that George Clooney responds to looking at something or, or reacting to something in an image or you know even just a series of images in like a small scene as opposed to some kind of you know, big fiery speech. You know, um, and it was just interesting because I think it kind of deals with this idea of you're you're always kind of making these discoveries that in some cases might seem really obvious, but might you know might take a while to sink in. You know, I
1: think that's I think that's totally been my experience as well. Um, well,
0: and, and I guess to follow that up, I mean, is that, what what ways do you think are good strategies for kind of well, and you kind of out- outlined that a little bit in, in your own work, but I guess if you could just kind of, you know, very very quickly kind of, uh, you know, give some advice to someone maybe that's um, that's trying to figure out, you know, what they're interested in, and maybe they, maybe they are trying to make it too much of an art piece.
1: Yeah, well, I, you know, my, my friend Michael Perrone, who's an incredibly talented painter, uh, once advised me that I should paint dumb, you know, like uh, that it's, you know, it's quite one thing to be a sort of intellectual in the classroom or in the coffee shop, but when you're in your studio, you know, his advice was to kind of turn, turn that part of your brain off. Um, and I think that is actually, you know, phenomenally good advice. And I see this with my students all the time where, and actually some very talented friends of mine where you you would, you know, you, you essentially choke at bat because, uh, you're thinking about what you're doing. And I think, um, a lot of the best art, whether you're talking about, um, you know, a sort of conceptual piece that's then outsourced to fabricators or a very traditional painting made by, you know, a painter in the studio, I think it's the, it's made out of a kind of intuitive sensibility. I think, I think as, uh, um, I think really great art is made in a kind of, uh, you know, a sort of flow state, like a similar state of mind that an athlete might experience, um, and, and all of the work that we do before that moment is essentially the training and the preparation. And I think what uh, what we, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm reading this book right now about sort of innovation, and they, they talk a lot about the, the adjacent possible and this idea that, um, you know, that sort of everything you expose yourself to becomes uh, a possibility. Um, and that the, the sort of more you expose yourself to things, uh, the more possibilities that you have in terms of your innovation. And I think that's that's totally true. Um, and I also think that you cannot necessarily access that innovation or those possibilities if you're sort of thinking about it. You know, it's like swimming. Like you can read a book about swimming, but you can't read a book about swimming while you're in a pool. Uh, right. <laughs> you have to sort of focus on not drowning, right? So, um, so you know, oftentimes with my students, I'll advise them to just trust themselves and like try to turn their brain off. You know, I think, uh, for me, I've often had, um, situations where I would spend a lot of time driving and I've gone on some like incredibly long road trips and I always feel like I do some of my best thinking in that state, like either driving or maybe walking. Um, and that's because like a good portion of my brain is preoccupied with, you know, not driving off the road or not tripping over the sidewalk. And it kind of opens up space, you know, like the the neurotic part of my brain gets sort of um, caught up in, in the physical activity. And and, and that's when, you know, my, my kind of like reptilian brainstem can actually start having good ideas and, and sort of promoting some kind of um, interesting conversation between all of the things that I've been sort of consuming.
0: Well, and this is maybe going to be me going a little bit on a hunch, but you kind of just said something there that... that, that, that perked my interests, and you know, we, we've talked a little bit about you know more traditional methods of research and and exploring um, you know uh, critical theory and, and things like that. Um, what do you? I mean, again, what's what's that process of just being being on a drive? Because I I find that you know pretty much what you said are I, I can remember just kind of you know taking trips to a lot of places and just kind of you know, looking around and seeing things out the window and, um, you know, noticing things that I that I like that are interesting formally and maybe think about those potentially and in, in how that might be resolved as artwork. Is that something that you kind of subscribe to then too? Um,
1: totally, and, totally. And, I mean, I think in, and if you look at the history of, of sort of modern art, uh, you know, and I, and I say that going back to essentially... Uh, you know, like Manet, for example, um, the, uh, I think artists and, and creative people in general have found that there's a level of inspiration that comes from uh, being somewhere new or being in kind of transit. Uh, and I've, I've been fortunate enough to be able uh, to travel with scholars in other fields. Uh, one of the things I, I did at my old job was uh, help lead this trip of students that went to China you know, every couple of years and so I've, I've actually traveled with uh, like just a really brilliant sociologist and neuroscientist, and we could and, and they would literally sort of deconstruct, you know, what was happening um, uh, to our to our identity, and also what was happening sort of in our to our sense of consciousness while we're traveling through this totally foreign place. And I think, you know, your sense of place and time totally kind of stretch out and get weird and pliable when you're when you're in transit and. And some people find this terribly disconcerting, um, and and for some people it really shuts down their kind of creative potential. Uh, I, I'm not of that ilk. It's for me, it's sort of the opposite. I don't necessarily know um, if it would be ideal to try and make work while while being in transition, but I find it very generative in terms of like coming up with ideas and and sort of making connections I wouldn't otherwise make when I'm in a kind of unfamiliar place. Um, and then this other thing happens when you're done traveling and you come back to whatever is your home. Uh, the familiar becomes strange because you've been away from it, you know, and and suddenly in your mind, like, what you kind of didn't see and took for granted is suddenly made very strange because consciously you're very aware of this other place you were. And I think that's that that kind of conscious experience is something I'm, I'm definitely interested in sort of um looking to for inspiration but also literally like deploying tactically in my work
0: well and, and to get back specifically to that and, and i'm thinking something um a little bit more towards the again the, m- the more current things that you have going on um well a couple of things that i want to make sure that i ask you about uh, before before we get to maybe some non-sequiturs but you know, it seems that first of all, like a some some both muted and intense color is something that you're that you're interested in terms of a formal strategy. But then again in the in the most recent work too, I think, um, there's a little bit it seems like there's a little bit more playfulness in terms of the way that paint is applied, the way that you kind of start to generate these very soft textures in things like walls or um, you know backdrops, or even even just the, the kind of textures that you come up with in terms of, I don't know, tents or um, the ground around rubble and, and, and things like that. Um, uh, is is that kind of stemming to some of those ideas that you're talking about in terms of the the IKEA catalog? Um, in terms of kind of filling in that that kind of um, that linear kind of structure kind of based drawing. Um, yeah. What's, I what's think that so. relationship I mean, about?
1: Um, for me, it's very liberating to to step away from a kind of natural sense of color and to think about color more in terms of uh, psychology, consumer culture, pop culture, visual culture. So, um, like, a strategy for color might be that I'll, I'll spend, uh, you know, the, my free time looking through a kind of collection of vintage Jack Kirby comic books and thinking about, like, the colors that are being used there. And then I might try to come up with a similar strategy for what I'm working on. Or I might look at a Japanese Yukioe print and and say, okay, this has like dominant blues, reds and browns. So I'm just going to operate in that way. I think for me, I find constraint very useful for generating a kind of creative potential. So often I'll start a piece, I usually work on three or four things at once. And maybe those three or four things will all have a similar constraint in terms of how I use color. Like, I can only use, you know, four colors, or the colors need to be very flat and graphic. Um, the second part of your question, which was about uh, a kind of emergence of, of sort of, um, I don't know, maybe more texture or something that's like maybe more painterly, um, that's pretty new, and I think it's um, I think it's indicative of a kind of transition that I'm going in. I've been I feel like I've sort of gotten to the point where the types of things that I'm making, I can really make with a great deal of, uh, uh kind of economy and grace. I feel very kind of in control of doing the thing that I'm doing right now. And typical to me, that means I, I need to start troubling it, you know, so that to keep it interesting, uh, you know, each, each work of art is a kind of puzzle. And if I feel like I'm, Figuring the puzzle out with too much ease, then I need to introduce something or remove something to make it kind of more difficult in a way. And so I think I've been, I guess, in the last year or so, uh, you know, rather than starting with a say a blank piece of paper, I'll I'll create a kind of wash on the paper and then sort of respond to that as as something to work with, or um, or give myself permission to kind of go in and render a couple objects that make them seem just a little bit. Weird compared to the other things that are maybe more graphic. Well,
0: and and so you know, kind of getting back to this to, to the some of the subject too, and, and some of the the ambiguity that you kind of create through this through the way that you're that you're generating these images. Um, do you get like a pretty wide range of reactions then to them, where you have people that I don't know because because again some of the some of the images you can really kind of you know maybe ascribe to something that might be Oh, this is you know um, some part of Afghan or you know like like Iraq or something where they've got barricades up all around the block and um, you know there's there's some kind of element of Americana moving into you know something that looks completely I don't know more more like a post apocalyptic you know kind of uh, I don't know like every, everything's gone to hell <laughs> for lack of a better terms I mean do you do you get a lot of different reactions in terms of what people bring to to your work then, too? Uh,
1: Yeah, I do. I think um, there's one piece in in my mind that sticks in particular where, you know, it was, uh, the image itself was a collage of, like, a skyline with the uh, Baghdad Hotel, which was a hotel where many journalists stayed during the war in Iraq, along with, like, shipping containers and, uh, water bottles that I kind of sampled from uh, news footage of K- Katrina, you know, like empty water bottles are often a signifier for displacement. Um, and someone looked at this and they're like, oh, this is clearly some commentary about um, Basel, Miami, the art fair Miami, <laughs> um, because there was a palm tree. Apparently water bottles are also a signifier of art fairs and, um, <laughs> and you know, temporary furniture. So, uh, I think, you know, the work, I think in some ways is successful in posing questions and people's answers to those questions are often very divergent. Um, uh, I think, I don't know, I often think that, uh, you know, the, the body of work before I began kind of exploring refugee architecture was a kind of critique of modernist architecture and it was mostly sort of interiors. And in some ways that work was a lot more commercially successful. People, um, we're more willing to kind of live with it. Uh, Whereas now I think a lot of people respond very positively to the work, but it's, I think it's a little bit challenging uh, to, to a lot of collectors. So the people who do end up, um, I mean, I get a lot of positive feedback and it's, I've been asked to use my work for different things like book covers or editorial illustrations. Um, But it's a very particular type of collector who will actually kind of seek me out to have it in their home. And, usually it's people who are interested in architecture uh, or social justice or or kind of, uh, or I think uh, putting those things into play with a kind of pop culture sensibility. Sure, sure. Um, I think a lot of people think it's funny, which is interesting to me. Uh, uh, a lot of people will say, oh, this work, you know, I think this work is really funny, which is always sort of curious because I don't enter into making anything with an idea of humor but i think to some extent i'm i have a very kind of dry sense of humor as a person and it, and it kind of infects it infects the work that i do in a, in a kind of peculiar way
0: well and and i guess I, I don't necessarily know that i you know i see that humor either but i definitely see a, um you know a way that you could really kind of play up the way that um you know, you're really removing, at least to some degrees, um, any real specific place. You know, and just by sourcing, you know, very different places, that could be something maybe to even kind of f- push that further. And I guess I say that specifically because there's this um, piece from 2009 called, um, I think, "Radical Populism." Yeah. Um, and it, it just strikes me it strikes me that that the that the, the lower black Kind of uh, negative shape, um, just to me, anyways, kind of reminds me of outer space. Um, and I put outer space in quotation marks because I realize how <laughs> how old-fashioned that sounds, or something. Outer space, um, but but it's interesting because I mean, you could see that there's a lot of potential for the way that that could shift, you know, depending on what what the image has in it, the way that it might be read, you know, entirely differently just just by changing all of those contexts each time. So.
1: Totally. I think um, I, you said a number of interesting things. I mean, uh, my, the one thing that sort of is, is hasn't been said is that there's no people in my work. You know, it's work about, I'm very interested in talking about place. Um, I, and I think I'm also interested in making work that's about a specific place that doesn't exist but could, you know, that seems familiar but is not of a specific locale. Um, I'm very conscious that um by making work that is sort of overtly about things like refugee crises um that you know like like a um like a photojournalist there's a kind of responsibility to how you depict people um and that's not a conversation i'm interested in having I, i don't feel like i'm an expert enough to talk about much besides myself um I, I don't think I can make any claims about how people live. And so I think uh, the work is very specifically not any place, but a place that sort of should seem familiar, but also, I think, strange. Um, and I think I use, you know, color and composition and essentially like figure-ground relationships to, that, that you were pointing to just a second ago to kind of create a, a sense where of possibility and, and kind of dislocation.
0: Well and so, you know, I I, I do get to some non um, sequiturs. Um, so since since you talked a little bit about um, you know, the, the subject that, that you know that you're know the most is yourself, um, could you talk a little bit about things that maybe keep you distracted from, from the studio or things that um you know, you get involved with that you really enjoy that um that I don't know, that that aren't related to uh, you know, making a print or or working through a piece.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, to keep from getting very frustrated, I try to remind myself constantly that, uh, that as essentially an artist in the world, that no matter what I'm doing, that there is some kind of usefulness that will essentially fuel the work in my studio. Um, uh, I, like, like many people I know, I have this kind of ideal notion and maybe it's, wildly old-fashioned about what it means to be an artist and and for me that the idea is that like in an ideal world like I get up have a really good cup of coffee and get a pastry and then go to the studio and work for like you know four or five hours um, and then go for a walk or you know read a book or something um, but the reality is that very few people do that you know instead I waste hours on the internet you know and spend too much time commuting and you know during the semester I spend way too much time teaching. Um, and and this was, like, very frustrating for me uh, until I decided that actually all of this stuff kind of makes what I do in the studio happen uh, in a very concise way. And so the reality is that I often work in a kind of binge-and-purge sort of way where different things in life will keep me out of the studio for two or three weeks at a time. Um, but then when I'm in the studio, I can kind of work uh, with a great deal of focus and, and try to draw on the experiences of the previous previous time in there. Um, but your question was sort of what specific things. Um,
0: well, you talked a little bit about some. Um, I, I was I was interested in bringing this up, and I made a note about it. the the um, the uh, The films that you're interested in, because um, you kind of you kind of talked a little bit about a, a certain quietness or like a certain a certain way that it isn't necessarily over the top. And I, I don't know. It seemed like that was related to your work, but I wanted to make sure to ask you about that a little bit too.
1: Yeah. I think, um, I, I, am sort of a voracious consumer of, of culture in a lot of different ways. And, um, you know, I'm constantly reading, uh, different, different books. Uh, usually it's a version of, you know, something that's very highbrow and, and often something that's very lowbrow. Um, for example, like I'm I'm currently uh reading a lot about the Napoleonic Wars. For no reason that I'm that I'm aware of, you know, other than it, right. it, it realized I didn't know anything about it. I was kind of curious and so I've started reading about it. Um and uh there's a friend of mine who has a studio down the hall from me who for for inexplicably is like a huge fan of Napoleon, so I decided I would school myself on on Napoleon just so I could kind of make fun of him. Um <laughs> But on the flip side, I'm also reading, uh, you know, like, uh, Maggie Nelson's book on the art of cruelty, which is this really fascinating, uh, kind of critical nonfiction book about how pain is depicted in visual art. Uh, so, and also this, this sort of, um, you know, kind of pop neuroscience book on innovation that I mentioned earlier, whose title and author I can't think of right now, um, you know, so it's it's that kind of like highbrow lowbrow thing that I, I that I'm just interested in. Um, I also uh, am an editor and contributor to Printeresting, this art blog that sort of focuses on print and design and visual culture. And as part of my my sort of work on that project, is you know, any given week there's like a hundred different blogs that I follow. So I'll spend a good deal of time on a on a reader blog reader like a Google Reader, just scrolling what you know what people are kind of talking about at the moment. Um, And then in terms of film, I mean, Philadelphia is sort of a very peculiar city in terms of its relationship to film. It's definitely not New York or Chicago. Uh, There's one company that has a lockup on all of the cinemas in center city. And they primarily show sort of art house films that are, you know, not necessarily the ones that are amazing that only go to New York, uh, but a lot of sort of second run art house films. Um, And so, whenever possible I go there uh, or, you know, like I can't wait to go see the Avengers cause I feel like there's going to be, you know, a spectacle of that capacity is going to be like totally fascinating and hilarious and, and entertaining. Um, uh, not that there's necessarily going to be anything that comes from that, that's going to influence my work, but uh, I guess that's just the kind of stuff that I sort of consume, um, you know, uh, left to my own devices, I'll, I'll look at like uh, you know noir films or you know you know any kind of like Criterion collection like certified smarty pants movie. I'll, so if it's on Netflix, I'll watch it. But then you know I'm equally interested in in what uh, you know what pop culture has to offer.
0: Well, and just a we've only got a couple of things, and I just want to touch on this one little thing before I I move on to just a couple of other other questions, but um when I look for music for your, for your, uh, for your episode, what kind of music should I be looking for?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, right now, um, I'm trying to think what's on heavy rotation. Right now I'm listening to, um, what I, what I'll sort of loosely describe as like, uh, French cafe music from like the forties, like anything with an accordion, you know, that I can find on Spotify uh, or Pandora. I'll sort of listen to. And then I'm, I've also become interested in the way that, you know, we're in this kind of curious moment where everyone is a curator and curators are artists. And I feel like that, um, that phenomenon started in hip hop culture with a DJ or a producer who would sort of put their stamp on an album um, and so I'm sort of spending a lot of time trying to listen to things by like, uh, Dan the Automator and, um, and Danger Mouse and just trying to figure out how they kind of create, uh, a body of work by influencing the way other people produce their work. Cause I feel like that, that concept is now kind of dominant in the art world and also, you know, in, in other aspects of our culture. Sure. sure. So I'm sort of moving back and forth. You know, again, sort of highbrow, lowbrow, like... Um, right, right. Exploring that aspect of hip-hop while also kind of binging on weird, vintage French music.
0: <laughs> well, I think, you know, those are those things that we're all pretty guilty of, you know, guilty pleasures, I guess. Um, I mean, I've, I'm a big fan of uh, Survivor, um, partially because of the Rocky IV movie, which happens to be pretty amazing. Um <laughs> Uh, particularly if you're ever, if you're ever at the gym, um, and need a good, uh, training montage sequence to keep you motivated. Um, but but before I completely derail things, just got a couple of other things left. Um, Um, are there any, any recent exhibitions or shows that you've seen that have kind of, uh, influenced you or kind of, you know, maybe you would, you could endorse to go have somebody check it out. And again, this could be something that didn't occur even say in the last year. I mean, it could be something a couple of years old or older. I don't know.
1: That's a good question. Um, I think the print out show uh, at the MoMA is worth seeing. Um, uh, there was a recent show at Space Ten Twenty Six that um, it is, it, I think it was called "You Know Phoning It In" from um, Malaysia or something, and it was uh, the the conceit and the structure of the exhibition in some ways was more. Compelling than any single piece, although there was a lot of interesting pieces in the show. Uh, What I found most interesting is it was an exhibition of work that had entirely been emailed um, from one artist to another artist who then curated a show on the other side of the world. Uh, And I found that kind of fascinating. Um, Totally interesting. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to attend a talk at the Queens Museum by an artist named Scott Hug, who's mostly known for producing a kind of high-end art zine called K48. Um, and he had recently discovered, uh, this, uh, American sort of poet and collage artist named Byrne Porter. Um, and so that was, it was really great to hear him talk about that influence. You know, it wasn't really an exhibition so much as a kind of slide lecture as event, um, But there was something really generative about hearing an artist sort of discover a kind of obscure cultural figure and then make work in response to it. Um, And I don't know. I think we're at a very strange time to, like, answer a question like that. You know, I think in some (laughs) ways the most amazing thing that I see is, like, any 10 minutes on Tumblr. But at the same time, the most forgettable thing that I see is any 10 minutes on Tumblr. Right,
0: right. That's you know, interesting and, how that works.
1: And, and yeah, and it, like, on any given day, I see probably more artwork than, than I had access to the entire first, you know, 25 years of my life. Um, but it's all kind of forgettable. Sure. Um, there's a couple artists who I've been going back to that I'm trying to f- essentially work my way out of. Like, there's something about their work that I can't quite figure out or can't quite let go of. Um, and oftentimes these are artists who work in very different ways modes than I do, but with similar subject matter. So, um, there's an artist named Marietta Potrich. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing her name. Um, but she works in a kind of sculptural slash relational aesthetics form. Um, and I'm pretty fascinated by her. I think she's incredibly compelling and I'm never quite sure why. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of temporary services, and I'm always kind of um, paying attention to what they're doing. Um, so there's somebody that I, I kind of constantly see where they pop up. Um, uh, there's a, a Spanish artist named uh, Francesca Ruiz, uh, who is part of the philographica exhibition in Philly, um, and he works with a lot of printed material and, and sort of comic book language and, and sort of stages things that are neither object nor event. And I can't quite figure out his work, but I sort of adore it. Um, and then, uh, Superflex is this like Norwegian group who deal with economic systems as a way of producing work. Um, and I was on this kick last year where I, I it was like, I c- could not read enough about, um, the sort of birth of the modern stock market in Great Britain in like, uh, the 16 and 1700s, you know, it was like this kind of obscure, uh, tangent I got obsessed with. And so they're kind of one of the, one of a small group of artists who are dealing with economic systems as a form. Uh, and so I was sort of very interested in them. I can never quite figure out what they're doing until they've done it, you know, and each piece is sort of different than the one before it. And in some ways, it seems smart and inaccessible. So I've been trying to figure out what they're—you know—what the hell are they up to? <laughs> uh, so it, it, that's the kind of stuff that I that I look at all the time conceptually. Uh, Stephanie Sajuko is a really talented Bay Area artist who also works with kind of exchange and economic system or systems in general as a way of producing work. Um, so,
0: excellent! So, excellent. Yeah,
1: they're people I'm pretty obsessed with.
0: Well, and whoever said obsession was bad in, in some regards.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when you're 12 years old and it's a girl in your social studies class, it's probably not healthy. But right, it, right. But, you know, with the tools of the Internet, it's all okay.
0: Well, and especially if we check into your studio and see, you know, you know, just little notes and, and things scribbled everywhere, then even even that's probably a good thing. Totally. Um, and then, so the, my last question is just if if, uh, if there's anything that you want to talk about coming up that you're interested in um, in terms of uh, exhibition or some projects that you're working on that we should look forward to? Uh,
1: there's a couple things that I'm going to be spending the summer really focusing on. Um, maybe, I'll say three things. Uh, the first is, as part of the Printeresting Collective, we get asked to kind of produce events and exhibitions a lot. And so, I... I have the good fortune of being uh, part of the group of people that's curating a a show of uh, small press publications and zines that's going to happen at uh, Art Space in Portland, Maine this summer. Uh, And that should be a lot of fun. There'll be, like, I don't know, anywhere from 60-plus artists um, or zine makers or, you know, poets or comic book makers who are going to be sending us stuff that, we're going to be displaying there that will then become part of the permanent collection of the exhibition space. So I'm, I've been working on that a lot lately, and I'm really excited about that exhibition. Um, also, through, uh, through my gallery in New York, I, I'm lucky enough to show at uh, Kesting Ray, which is a kind of great downtown space that shows a lot of uh, work that deals with place and um, uh, in a very interesting way. Uh, and so through them, I, I've been able to participate at this, um, this exhibition at the McCall Center that will happen at the end of the summer where uh, about, I think, six or eight artists are going to come and make work, mostly installation-based work, That's um, for an exhibition that's going to dovetail with the Democratic National Convention in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, there's a lot of really amazing artists who are participating uh, many of them who work predominantly as uh, street artists or um, installation artists in, in very different ways than, than I produce things. So I, I think it's going to be great fun to work with them and produce something for this exhibition. Uh, I don't think the exhibition has a title or a kind of web presence yet, but it'll be pretty cool. Uh, and then there's, uh, it's kind of not concrete enough to say, but there's one or two shows of. Of kind of the things that I produce in the studio that'll be, um, hopefully, uh, displayed somewhere in the early part of 2013 that I'm looking forward to, and I feel like I'm kind of on the verge of a new body of work or or transitioning the work that I'm doing slightly from where it is now. Um, so I'm I'm awfully excited to start producing the stuff that will be that will build those exhibitions out.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, it's been great uh, getting some, um, I guess, inside information on your, your practice.
1: Oh, it's been my pleasure. It's, it's been a lot of fun talking with you, David.
0: Thanks again to Amsie for joining us today. You can find out more about his work by visiting AmsieEmmons.com. Music today was provided at freemusicarchive.org. The band, The Insider. The song's a difficult subject. And a little woozy, I guess. Once again remember, if this is your first time checking out the Studio Break podcast, there are plenty more where that came from. There's thirty episodes of Studio Break complete with images and in-depth interviews. Once again you can check those out also at iTunes. Just subscribe under the iTunes Store under Podcast, just search for Studio Break and you'll find it. Once again it's great to hear from listeners, so please, please leave comments on the blog. Go to Studio Break, at Facebook, become a fan, leave us some feedback, say hello, we'd really appreciate it. Once again, you can also check out that information for the 2012 competition for MFA and BFA students underneath the calendar page. And last but not least, maybe you're listening to this and wondering, who is this guy? What does he do? Check out my work at davidlinaway.com. You can also check it out at fivepiecesgallery.com. And once again, if you want to see it in person, I have an opening coming up June 16th of the Peoria Art Guild, Scavenged Landscapes. i going to have a lot of new work for that in the next coming weeks so I hope you check that out but once again we will be returning with new interviews weekly so please keep coming back please say hi, leave us some comments and some feedback, we'd really appreciate it and we'll talk to you real soon